There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P. DJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Ah, here. Ah, stop, will you? Who, who did that? Just who did that? Who went out and, and pulled down or knocked down that beautiful planter on Patrick Street? Just as we're getting into the height of spring and the weather is improving and the flowers are blooming and some... Gowell decides to pull down or knock down one of those lovely planters on Patrick Street. It's, everything's lying on the ground and ruined and destroyed. We're putting a picture of it up on Twitter, but you know, people put hard work, hard work and effort and dedication into keeping these things lovely. You know, there's a saying, oh, well, here's why we can't have nice things. Well, here's why we can't have nice things when some idiot pulls it down. Just for fun, I suppose. Just for the laugh, like. We'll get your picture in a second. Some lovely news. I'm so, so thrilled to hear this news. It's about a very sad story. You'll remember back in, or you might remember, back in April of last year, I spoke to Rebecca Saunders. Uh, It was on the back of a, a podcast that Rebecca had done with Liz Dunphy at the Examiner and they've done a major, major story on the murder of um, Rebecca's little girl Clarissa who was murdered by her father Martin in West Cork in 2013 and they were buried together back then and from that day to this Rebecca has regretted allowing that to happen and she wanted she told me about it in great detail and in that podcast she told this what she wanted more than anything else was to be able to exhume her little girl and bring her back to America and bury her in America where Rebecca now lives with her new family well she tweeted late last night now I'm not too sure what time it is in her part of America but she tweeted late last night that she was granted a license to exhume 
Clarissa. And after nine years, she'll be able to correct, as she calls it, her awful mistake. And she can't wait to be able to take Clarissa home. It's been a really long time coming. It's a day for for celebration. And I'm thinking of a lovely woman that I interviewed at length last year. And I'm thinking of the desperate scenes I saw when I covered that story as a reporter back in 2013. And I'm thinking of uh, my our mutual friend, Shell, who, who set up the interview with Rebecca for me last year or helped with it. And I am so, so, so thrilled for Rebecca Saunders this morning. So, so, so thrilled. Lots more to talk about today. A man who defied the odds. He's a Brazilian chap. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer and he said, nah, I'm not giving up. I'm not I'm giving you. He now runs a jiu-jitsu school in, in Blackpool. Um, the ban on liquids on flights. You know the way you can't bring a bottle of water or a can of Coke onto a flight? That might be about to end. We'll find out more about that with our travel expert, regular travel expert, Owen Curry, and the nice people at MCD have given us another pair of tickets to give away for David Gray at Musgrave Park in June. What's that song? I'll give you another couple of listens to it during the morning. We're kind of robbed Lorraine's one-second song idea for this. So what is this? Name that song. 083 396 96 96. But first, I've been talking to Christina. Christina, we've asked the hospital in question for a statement in in response to, to what you've been telling us. So maybe without mentioning anybody's name, if you wouldn't mind, you went to the Mercy Hospital and you were in a bad old way. Yes, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, so I, like I'm having um, some mental health issues, and I have done for a while, you know. And I, um, I was on to my doctor, and he rang me back that evening, and he said, uh, "Look, j- just the way you are at the moment, Christina, it's best if you go up to the Mercy." And um, my family like had no faith because I was up there before Christmas, and I tried to take an overdose. And um, I was I was in there a couple of days before Christmas, or maybe two, a couple of weeks, one or two weeks, maybe. Sorry, and um, uh, they kind of let, let me sat in a chair all day and made sure that like my heart rate was okay and everything. And I was just left there, and I started to panic. Then I was really lonely, and I wasn't getting any um, support from anybody. So I said, "Wow, when?" am I going to get to speak to someone I asked a number of times and I was I kept getting fobbed off and eventually then I said I can't hack it anymore I can't sit here anymore and um, they left me off into the city by myself like and they knew that I like I was kept telling them that I was um that I was suicidal and I I could I, I could feel like I could try something again you know so that that happened before Christmas and then um the Monday then I went in so I, I didn't have any faith going in there and I sat there for from um I think I went in then at about maybe 10 o'clock um, at night and I was seen by a nurse and then it was four o'clock in the morning by by the time I was seen by um, any uh, psychiatric doctor and um, she just kind of went through questions with me and stuff like that and I, she was like do you feel like you're a danger to yourself this evening or still now and I said yes I do and um, yeah and she said, um, she said, well, we can't do anything for you. We can't take we, any admissions because um, the wards are full with COVID patients. 
actually now that I think about it because it was actually six o'clock I arrived home in the taxi so it was probably closer to half five or something I, I seen someone now that I think about it but um yeah no I, I seen that doctor and she kind of she went through um uh, questionnaire with me I suppose and and the, the, like about my mental state and when it happened and how long I've been suffering for and I told her how long and everything and she said what do you feel like you need to do now and I said I, I said um I don't feel like I'm, I'm safe myself if I go away and um well, and to that question, then she just replied that, well, we can't take you here because we're not taking any admissions. So I was kind of looking at her. I was like, where, where, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go from here? Like, and she said, I can refer you to the outpatient. Did you feel at that point in time that you needed to be in a hospital setting for your safety? I did, yeah, I, I did. I Like, I mean, I wouldn't have went up if I didn't because I, I just felt so um, hopeless, you know, and um, I, I was isolating my room and, uh, like, my head was just getting in on top of me and um, I, ju- I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore, you know. Sure. When I said it to my family and they said, why don't you wait till the morning, they might be able to offer you something because they had a feeling nothing was going to happen for me, you know. But I said, look, I'm going to try it anyway. And I just felt just as left down when I when I was up there because nothing really happened yeah. for me. It was money boat ways for a taxi, so it just I was just out of pocket even more. Yeah, did they give you an an outpatient appointment? Um, a referral, but um, no no appointment or anything has come as of yet. And you said that you went to the hospital originally because your GP told you it might be a good idea to do that. So have you did you tell your GP what happened? I did, yeah, and um, uh, it's it's very hard to get in contact with the GPs at the moment as well because they're run off their feet. Um, my GP himself is quite good, but I mean he's only one person; he can only do so much. So I I couldn't re- I couldn't even get an appointment down there. And but he but he rang me back in the evening then and in his own time and said, "Look, I really think you should go up to the hospital," you know. Yeah. So I followed his advice, you know. Yeah, and then they said, "Well, you we can't." They they couldn't admit you. They said they couldn't admit yeah. you because of COVID. Yeah, how are you now? Um, I'm I'm not great to be honest, but uh, like I I I kind of isolated for the whole Paddy's weekend and stuff like that. Like I have some issues with um, um, alcohol and stuff like that as well. So which sure. which weren't wasn't in the case when I was in the hospital. I was completely um sober and everything like that. Like, but um, so really that would have affected me if I went out at the weekend or anything mm. like that. So and, I and what in. You, you're isolating yourself? Is th- is that a COVID thing or are you just no? No, I'm just, I'm just, I, I need to keep my, you know, um, my interactions to a minimum. And I'm not capable at the moment either anyway, like to be socialising or anything like that. I'm just not in the headspace for it. Okay. Christine, we have asked the hospital for a statement. It, it's very likely that when that statement comes, it won't refer to an individual case because they don't do that. But we'll see what they say yeah. anyway. And, and I do hope that you'll be all right. Yeah, I, I, well, I appreciate it. And look, I just, it's not even so much for my own sake because, like, I, I will, I will get the supports one way or the other. Like, I'm really fighting for my, for myself this time, like, you know, but, and like, I, there are supports out there for me, but I just, I just felt like it's the, it's the, it's not individuals because the individuals I get in contact with are always great. It's the, the system as a whole is just absolutely terrible. Like, it lets so many people down, like, you know, so. I just felt I need to say something. I think you're at pains to stress as well that the person who you dealt with was not unfriendly. They they just could do nothing for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she, they weren't the best, but I mean, they were probably run off their feet, exhausted then as well. Yeah. So, like, yeah. that's it then, you know. 
All right, listen, you mind yourself and take care, all right? And I'm glad that you have supports uh, in general. I do, I do. Good, yeah. good. Look after yourself then, Christina. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye now. Oh, 818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. That's one word to describe, uh, Christina. Brave, what a brave girl. Uh, well done for coming on the radio. It's an awful system. So sad. Stay strong. And I, before I left her... At the end of that call, I just made sure she had people and support around her. And she seems to have a fabulous family. Whoever you are, I don't know who you are, I just know her as a caller to the show. But um, she seems to have a fabulous family who really care about her, which is great. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a week or two ago, I spoke to Lilia. Having first spoken to her friend, PJ... Uh, who lives in Cork but is Polish, he was on his way over to the Polish-Ukrainian border. She was leaving Ukraine uh, to get to safety. They hadn't seen each other in several years, but he felt, I need to help my friend. Now Lilia is here in Ireland, and I think, Lilia, if I'm right, your children just started school this morning. Hello again. Hello, hello. Um, glad to hear you again. Uh, yes, uh, our our kids uh, just uh, left uh, and go to school. Uh, it's uh, very, uh, you know, excited for me and for them. And um, <clears throat> I think uh, it's a very good idea uh, to send them to school because uh, I think uh, the adaptation will be um, uh, sooner. Yes. yes, and yes, and uh, we hope that uh, they enjoy uh, this school, and the school will enjoy uh, Ukrainian, uh, you know, uh, students. Yeah. Yes. So delighted for you. You arrived into Cork Airport on St Patrick's night, I think, and then there was some confusion over where you could stay. You wanted to stay in Cork, obviously, but to be close to your friend PJ, yeah. but actually you ended up in Kerry. How did that happen? So um, PJ helped with all the organizational moments, and um, then we go to Cork on Tuesday night, and that was a St Patrick's Day. Um, uh, so we thought uh, that uh, we can stay in Cork, but um, I think um, because that because of the St. Patrick Day, many many people uh, had a day off, <clears throat> and um, uh, now we know that our group 
what was not issued in visas. So uh, it's a little moment today, and we uh, should solve this problem. And um, because people who arrive in Dublin, they have. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we thought that we can uh, stay in Cork, but uh, the government uh, government uh, uh, prepared uh, another country. So um, we are in Kerry now, uh, and. Uh, so, uh, what was looks what what uh, this uh, process looks like? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we were uh, in the airport, <clears throat> um, uh, I think there was uh, some police or somebody uh, who works in the airport. Yeah. They um, they are. Uh, um, they said that we can go uh, on the bus. Yeah. They they uh, they they um, they prepared the bus, yeah. and we can go could go uh, to have a dinner, and then we should go to another country. And I decided not going to have uh, a dinner because if I uh, went, uh, I I didn't I wouldn't stay in Cork. Uh, and we try and try and try yeah. to to live uh, in in Cork, but um, now I think uh, it's not bad no. uh, that we uh, we are here, yeah. uh, not in Cork because it's a <clears throat> very quiet uh, city, and um, our kids are very safety. Sure. And you know any any um, any place where we can live in uh ireland sure. it's safety and people are very kind yeah it's 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 our neighboring <laughs> county and you're only about an yeah. hour away from cork anyway yeah. now you have a little apartment i think that is part of a hotel which is great and and you've had a really warm welcome which is fantastic the children are nine and and six now yes. you're going to be here I mean, I, I take it that, you know, Liliana or Lilia, you, you want to go back to Ukraine when all of the war has settled down. You have family and friends and everything back there. You want to go back, but but at least while you're here, you want to get a job and you want to work. Yes, yes, for sure. I think in a few weeks, weeks or a month, I plan to look for a job. Um, unfortunately, the company where I worked um uh should should cut uh, our uh, <clears throat> uh i don't know department yes yeah. and uh my position is uh, not actual this time so um uh i should i should look for a job but i think uh i i think it's um it can be a, a little um I should take some time to adapt my children, indeed, you know? Indeed, take, yes. some, take some time to settle, uh, take yes. some time to breathe, as we say. And I know you yes. work in IT computers, isn't that right? Uh, so I work uh, in IT, yeah. uh, in a human resources department. Very good. Uh, before I was event manager and I have a big experience in marketing. Um, yes. Uh, yes, and you, you know, <clears throat> in general, I want to um, to know all uh, of people uh, in Ireland that Ukrainian women 
are often have a higher education and uh, from good universities yeah. and often have good English. Well, your and English, Lilia, if I may say, uh, mm-hmm. may I compliment you? And and, oh. and and with that, can I ask you a question? I'm very, very impressed, actually, with the standard of English. All really? of the Ukraine. Yes, I think people coming from Ukraine, their English is exceptional in many cases. Mm-hmm. Do you learn it in school over there? Yes, in school, in university. Yes, yes. We, yeah. whole, uh, we have classes uh, in a whole Ukraine. Very it's good. English, yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, your your English is is excellent, um, and you'll probably thank you. But I think, but my vocabulary is not. Right, well, that's <laughs> so that, we, we, you, you'll, you'll learn a whole. You will learn, and I'm sure PJ has been telling you. You, you will learn a whole new language here now. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 for sure. <laughs> I'm so delighted, and the, getting the the school place for your kids, they must be so happy. Yes, and they're very excited. Very. And, uh, you know, the, the school, uh, the, the kids uh, in this school are very excited to meet the Ukrainian. Uh, uh, yes. New, yes. Fr- new friends. New friends. Yes. New friends yes. with stories to tell. And yes. I'm, I'm so thrilled for you and, and delighted that you're here. And, you're, and, you know, what we've been saying to people over the last few weeks is that we wish them safety. Well, here you are. And the one thing you have now, Lilia, you have safety. You are most welcome yes. to our country. Oh, thank you very much. And, you know, I, I'm very happy uh, that I am here t- t- today here. And I will, uh, um, I think with PJ, we both work about uh, this. Uh, so we we should take our Ukrainians to Ireland and um, uh, speak about this. They, they can move here and uh, be safe uh, with, with their kids. And the government uh, ha- uh, uh, gives a very, very big support, you know. Yeah. And it's a very, very impressed for us. Okay. Well, we're delighted. Yeah. We're delighted to have you, and and welcome to you, and welcome to your children. You've got the safety that you needed so much, and I wish you every success as you as you settle here for however long you you intend to stay. Lilia, thank you very much. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and to PJ, or he's known as PJ. Premislav is his name, but he's known as as PJ. Thank you for for keeping us in touch with Lilia. On Christina's call, Antoinette says, this doesn't surprise me. Seven years since I had to deal with them. And so upset to hear Christina telling the same story we had. The only difference is that they use COVID now as their excuse. Another one, my brother had been admitted to hospital in St. Michael's, I think it's called. Yeah, in the mercy. It is St. Michael's. It was a couple of months before Christmas. I couldn't praise the care enough. And they're still supporting him. Really are there to help him. He suffers badly from his mental health. It probably was a quieter time in hospital. COVID cases would have been lowered then. They even had to get him somewhere to live before they could side him out. He was in for a few weeks. Ah, yeah, when the services are good, they're great. When they're good, they're great. It's getting into them. We have asked the Mercy for a statement in relation to Christina's story. And should we get that, we'll, we'll definitely bring it to you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. 
So you'll know the Goulding's fertiliser company. It's been there since forever, down on Centre Park Road, down by the docks there, Docklands down towards Parky Cueve as you drive down you'll see the bags and bags and bags of fertiliser down there they've been there since since God was a child Goldings want to move that to Belvelli near Cove to Marino Point now, there's a little port down there they want to move that operation down there uh, the council has approved planning for that move uh, and there are unfortunately some objections have been put into that um and let me talk to Councillor Marcia Dalton, who's one of the first people to have lodged an objection. Marcia, the, why? Why? And, and I, I, we also got a, an email from a listener who asked us to raise this topic because they felt that there's quite a number of issues with this planned move. Marcia, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for thanks for hearing us on this because it's not quite as straightforward as it appears. And I was actually the last objection <laughs> as opposed to the first one. Well, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so the background to this, as you know, PJ, is that there's been a long time aimed to develop the Docklands in the city, and that's a really good thing. And the Goulding's um, location would be key to that. Yeah. So it's important for the city that Goulding's would move, and everybody acknowledges that and respects it. So the Merino Point site is where the old Irish fertiliser industries was located. It was net before that yeah. and it was a big fertiliser factory. And they closed in 2002 and the site has sat there largely fallow since. Now there's one industry on it already um, called Merino Chem and they operate away quietly and it's all fine. So the Goulding's move to Merino Point um, is it's a big deal for the city, you know. Um, but our concern in Passage West where I live is that we're the closest town to it. Yeah. Now we're actually across the water but it's only 450 metres yeah. away from, from the closest clearly, spot. Absolutely. You can. Yeah. You can and the water is, it, it's an amplifier of noise rather than something that soaks noise. So in 2020 Goulding's and the Port of Cork made a planning application jointly together to Cork County Council so the Goulding part of it was to move their factory from Centre Park Road to Marino Point. And the Port of Cork part of it um, was to increase activity at the jetty. So in Passage West, it's not actually the Goulding move that is of such concern. It's the increased activity at the jetty piece. And one of the things, we, we've expected this to happen since time began. That's the God's truth. But one of the big concerns is that we know what it's like to live with a port. Passage of the port town, it has been shipbuilding since 1832. It's been fishing before that. Yeah. Um, so we know what it's like. We already have a dockyard in the town. We already have a community in Monkstown and Ringskiddy who lives with the port of Cork and Ringskiddy. And we know what the sensitive bits are. And one of those really sensitive bits is noise at night time. Yeah. So the huge concern for me as a representative of the people in Passage West is that the copious volumes of documentation submitted with the planning application did not assess noise at night from the jetty. 
So what happens when you've got a ship staying over at night is that typically there's a generator running. And that generator is one of those low, uh, when I say low frequency, it's quite technical, but it's this low rumbling rumbling sound. sound, yeah. Yeah. And if you get it at a certain location, it amplifies. I've heard it inadvertently in my car on the quayside, and I couldn't understand where the noise was coming from. There was a ship at the jetty at the time. It was extraordinary. And I got out of the car to see where the noise was coming from. The noise disappeared. So it's, it's really important that that piece would be assessed in the planning. And the county council didn't see it at all. They took um, what the application said was the engines will be shut down at night and so there'll be no nighttime noise. And we know that's not true. We already have ships coming in there. Yeah. There are already people being kept awake at night. Yeah. The, there the, already the, the fear is that, yes, they may turn off the ship's engines, but they need a generator to keep the power going. And, and that's what you're worried about. And it's that rumble being amplified across the water at night Absolutely. is what concerns people. That's the big deal. And there are houses facing it very, very close to it, PJ. You know, 500, 550 metres away, lots of houses. And everyone gets ships here. I don't know a single resident who has come to me and said, I object to shipping, I object to increased jetty activity. Nobody's done that. But what everyone is saying is, if you're going to come there, you've got to acknowledge that there's a community here that is already disturbed and please have a bit of respect. Okay. So that's where it's coming from. Okay, stay there, Marcia. Uh, I want to cross the, the water, literally, uh, 500 metres across to Belvelli, and I'm joined by Owen. Owen, you've also lodged uh, an appeal against this permission. Uh, why? Good morning, PJ. Thank hi. you very much for uh, ringing us. And uh, hi, Marcia. Um, Hello, Owen. Yeah, we have. We've lodged one here because for the simple reason the road infrastructure isn't actually suitable in Belvelli. Now, you're familiar with Belvelli. Belvelli is a beautiful um, historic and heritage village. We have our uh, protected structures of both the the bridge, the Martello Tower, and uh, the recently restored castle. Yeah. But the road infrastructure itself, uh, the alignment, which would basically be kind of the kinks, the bends, the meanders, and that, you know, they call it the alignment. But you can't bend a truck... So while it appears on paper that the road infrastructure width, the carriageway widths, are actually wide enough to um, take the trucks, because you can't bend the truck around the, the kinks in the road, the trucks actually have to cross the line, obviously. So outside our place here, between myself and my next-door neighbour, two trucks can't physically pass each other on the road. Sure. One has to stop and leave the other go. Now, that's only one section. There's six sections where that actually happens, you know? The bridge itself, the old, beautiful old Belvelli Bridge, I mean, people have been saying for years that that needs to be, at very least, widened, maybe bring another road in instead of it, because it's the only way on and off the island of Cove. So I'm sure you'd have concerns about two trucks, one going one way and one going the other, getting stuck on the bridge. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, because the uh, the bridge actually is a protected structure on the RPS, which is the uh, record of protected structures going forward. And ironically enough, believe it or not, we were doing a bit of research here to um, um, around the bridge, but... James Hughes Smith Barry from Forte Estate actually commissioned the architect, a fellow by the name of Abraham Addison Hargrave Sr., uh, to commission the bridge back in 1803. So there's a link between Forte and um, our Belvelli Bridge as well. Um, now, not only that, the architect actually has 24 additional listings in the Directory of Irish Architects for uh, anybody who's interested in that, you know, uh, 24 and one being the Belvelli Bridge, so 23 others. But... Uh, they've actually tried to um, get, well, put in a planning to widen the bridge 
and actually add a cantilever on the side of the bridge. But mm. there's no public consultation process for that. Now, how can a private developer change mm. a protected structure without the correct public yeah, consultation yeah. process? I guess, Owen, you know, regardless of the industrial goings on here and, and what might or might not happen, I, I don't think there's a single person on that island who would disagree that something needs to be done to either modernise or provide an alternative to Bell Valley Bridge. Because beautiful and all as it is, one way on and one way off the island in 2022 is it's risky at the best of times. Correct. And as you said, it back as far as 2003, PJ, the uh, CASP and the County Development Plan both have uh, addressed that, the fact that Cove needs a new road. So bringing forward then to 2006, 2007, there was a county council um, and private uh, venture between Cork County Council and a contractor called Mott MacDonald, where they entered the public consultation process. They had nine new routes and um, through various uh, meetings with the public and that they ruled it down to one. So they actually had a route. They were, that went forward to the CPO process in 2007. But unfortunately, in 2008, we had the economic crisis yeah. And we got no new roads. So no new road. everybody has has has, has actually um, highlighted that. So you you are right. There, Cove does need a new road, and another alternative is to run it alongside the railway track, yes. right into the new port. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know? Something has to be done. So you, it's the the bridge effectively, and the and the transport infrastructure is your issue on that side of the water, on and then on the other side, uh, Marcia, and indeed the person who contacted us initially, their their problem is with the light and the noise and the engines and all of that. We we did submit all of this to Goulding's, um to ask them their response, and just want to have you both there. Uh, they said to us in reply, we refer to your email of 9th March 2022. We submitted our planning application in January 21. This was accompanied by an environmental impact assessment and was supplemented with further information as requested by the Council. The Council issued their planning decision in February 22. The decision references numerous conditions that need to be observed to mitigate any impacts on the environment or residents. The decision of the Council is open to appeals to onboard Planola by 15th March and that was signed off by uh, their operations director. So... You've both lodged objections. Do we expect, Marcia, in the course of things, this to go to something like an oral hearing or what? I don't know. It's at the, you know, the way the, the board works is they assign the case to an inspector. The inspector um, reviews what material they've received. So that would be the three appeals. And then we're in a, what is called a four-week period for observations. So that means that anybody who has who wants to have a voice on this, who has an opinion, who has a concern, can submit it to the board so once that four-week period is up, all that material is given to the inspector and he or she then goes through that together with all the documentation, both from the council and from the applicant. And they say, mm, maybe we should be holding an oral hearing or not. Right. And that's, that's at their discretion. Right. You're, you're, you're a, I know you're, you're an engineer yourself by profession, so, so you follow this planning stuff with, shall we say, a slightly more educated eye than, than mere yeah. sticks on the radio like me. Could, could you see the makings of an oral hearing here? Honestly, I could. Yeah, I could. I think the voices of the people in Belvilly are really important. Um, we, we, it's going to be difficult to deal with the noise issue. It's always difficult to deal with noise from a port at night time. The road issue is more clear cut, and some of the people in Belvilly at the county council stage, uh, quite a number of people submitted. And Owen has some of the photographs in his appeal. Uh, excuse me now, speaking for you, Owen. 
but they're extraordinarily vibrant. You've got pictures of trucks locked together on the road because yeah. there wasn't the room for two to pass. You've got pictures of tailbacks at the Belvilly Bridge where a bus is coming off the bridge, uh-huh. obviously crosses oh. at 45 degrees. You just extraordinary stuff. Uh-huh. Pictures of people trying to walk on the road, yeah. no I path, think, no room. I think no one, in fairness, anyone, any one of us who's ever driven to Cove and been up and down there enough times myself over the years, you dread even another decent-sized car coming up. So the you thoughts see, of a yeah, truck or like, a bus or whatever... Yeah, um, as like as, as Marcia said there, um, and and I, I it, it's my own fault for not saying it as well. You literally can't walk on the road if, yeah. if if there's a couple of trucks coming. Now the council have acknowledged this, which is absolutely exasperating from from our point of view, because the council have acknowledged that. Now, unfortunately, they've taken the um, independent third party as. Uh, as law, their their, their submission of uh, road measurements and that. Now, we, we have asked for an independent or the county council to conduct the uh, road survey, but um, there are areas there where the applicant has said that there's only 300 millimetres. Now, that's only a ruler. That, that's a primary school ruler on an A4 right. a foot. It's a foot. It's a foot. It, yeah, it's a foot between trucks. Put, put, now, that doesn't put down your decent-sized clod-hopping boot. It's, exactly. that, it's, it's that width, you know? it's that width. Owen and Masha, I'm going to leave it there for today because I have no doubt we'll come back to this one. We just wanted to check up with the story because that's one that's going to run for a while. Uh, the proposed move and of Goulding's fertiliser down to Marino Point, throwing up issues on both sides of our beautiful harbour. We will follow it with interest over the months to come. 0818 96 96 96. What is this song? All right, one second of it. That's David Gray, uh, 083-396-9696, with your name and the name of the song. All right, and the winner of that wins another pair of tickets. We're giving away a pair of tickets every day, thanks to our friends at MCD, to see David Gray at Musgrave Park on Saturday, June the 18th. I want to go to Dr. Dermot Quinlan, who is a GP based in Glanmire. Just... To spend a few minutes talking about COVID-19, which we haven't done in quite some time on the show. But since St. Patrick's Day, there have been nearly 64,000 cases confirmed in the country. And there's a surge at the moment. And anecdotally, we all, I think, know more people who either have it or think they have it or are isolated in case they might have it than any other point since COVID began. Now, for the most part, people are not getting particularly sick. So we just want to see what, what's happening with the situation. I'm joined by Dr. Dermot Quinlan, as I said. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, PJ, and uh, great to be on your program. Thank you. It, it is it, it, rampant, I suppose, at the moment in the community, is it not? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a very substantial amount of COVID at the moment. It hasn't gone away. And the HSE data shows clearly that the number of cases continue to increase by at least 40%. Um, so it's, 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 it's very widespread. It's very infectious. Um, and there's a lot of it around. Is it giving cause for concern? In other words, is the vaccine wall, as they call it, holding up? I think the, the evidence shows that the vaccine wall is holding up, that vaccination is a key part of our defence against uh, COVID. 
Um, we know that it is highly infectious, but while the numbers are increasing and the numbers of people being hospitalized with it are also increasing, the number of people in ICU and intensive care thus far is stable, which yeah. is really reassuring. ICU was the most important metric, I think, of recent weeks and months, and that is still mercifully quite low as a, as, as a total of the overall. Yeah, uh, uh, the number in ICU is stable, even though the number of people in hospital is, is going up, and certainly the number of cases is up substantially. Uh, as we know, uh, it's very infectious, it's very widespread, and the, the highly vulnerable people are those really who have uh, impaired immunity and multiple underlying conditions. Um, and it really all comes back to you know uh, us behaving uh, responsibly. Mm. You know we don't anticipate any return to the restrictions that the public have endured and supported for the last two years. Um, And if people have symptoms, really, they should stay at home. They should do an antigen test and a PCR test if they're in appropriate age groups. And then, you know, when we're out and about, you know, social distance in crowded areas isn't always feasible, but then wearing a mask is really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, just going back to that, the the mandate, the mandate to wear a mask in the shop or wear a mask on the bus or wear, wear, wear a mask, pretty much, the mandate is gone, except for health care settings like say a surgery like your own now. Yeah. or interestingly enough yeah. a pharmacy I wasn't aware that a pharmacy still had a mandate is it did we move too quickly dear with with removing the mandate no, I, I think the HSE and the, the international data shows that Ireland has done very well uh, across the COVID pandemic. So I think we have moved appropriately. I think the timing has been good. I think the public have supported the appropriate use of measures. And I think we all are really glad to have them relaxed. Um, and the removing of mandatory restrictions has been very important for individuals, yeah. for our communities, and also for businesses and healthcare facilities. So, um, But I think it's important that people you know, act responsibly, particularly in crowded areas and uh, consider wearing them in, in retail areas or, or in crowded areas um, yeah. because it is infectious. But just speaking purely personally, I, I wear a mask on the bus as a matter of course still. Uh, it's just a thing. Um, also, if I go into a supermarket, if it's a big, huge, airy supermarket like an Aldi or a Lidl or a big super value or something, I kind of don't bother. But... If I'm in a small corner shop, or indeed if I see people going around, elderly people who might be vulnerable with masks on, I'll put mine on then. Am I doing enough? I I think... I think that's very sensible, uh, PJ, and I think that's what we would encourage people to do. Obviously, the vulnerable people need to be especially careful in terms of mask wearing and, and visiting shops at quieter times, you know, so that early morning or late evening um, and, you know, avoiding crowded times for public transport and then wearing wearing masks. Like I'm going to Dublin tomorrow morning and I will be wearing my mask on the train and traveling through the train stations because uh, they're busy areas. Mm-hmm. Um but I suppose it comes down to people, you know, and even those who haven't had vaccines or maybe have not been fully vaccinated, the HSC are still doing a really good job in offering vaccinations mm-hmm. and we're now vaccinating the children as well. So that's all to be welcomed, you know, in terms of helping us to live with COVID mm-hmm. uh, in the months and years ahead. Dermot, I know doctors and scientists hate to speculate, but I'm probably asking you to speculate. We know after the last couple of years that there's a seasonality to this and that once the weather warms up and once we start opening the doors and the windows and spending more time outside there will be a natural lull that combined with the high level of vaccinations there's no panic here is there? 
no, there is no panic. I think we we know an awful lot about this uh, disease. We are far better prepared. The public know how to manage it. The vaccination programme has been enormously successful in Ireland uh, with huge uptake by the vast majority of, of the public. And that really has resulted in our uh, deaths and serious illness being uh, among the better in across Europe. So, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that the okay. public have engaged with the vaccination programme that the HSE have rolled out over the last two years. OK, we'll leave it there for no reason other than time. Thank you for being with me on the Opinion Line. Dr. Dermot Quinlan, uh, GP based in Glenmire. The message, it's out there, plenty of it. It hasn't gone away. Just be careful and we'll be all right. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just a quick reminder for you that our Premier League live show with Trevor Welsh, which is powered by TalkSport, takes a break this coming weekend, back Saturday, April 2nd. We have live commentary from the biggest games and exclusive interviews. It's back to 96fm.ie and on the app on the 2nd of April, so Saturday week. Premier League Live Online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. You're streaming only the games that matter to you most with Now. And you're listening on Saturdays back on April 2nd with Cork's 96FM app or you're going to 96FM.ie. And just to mention uh, with that, um, Trevor, of course, dear friend and colleague, for many, many years over the weekend, Trevor laid his beloved mom, Eileen, to rest after she passed away at the age of 87 and didn't do it yesterday. The funeral was yesterday. We called to see him, called to see her in the funeral home. Sunday afternoon, many of us, many of his friends and colleagues from over the last God knows how many years, um, but our thoughts and indeed our, our prayers for those of us who pray are with Trevor and Noel and his many brothers and sisters and indeed uh, Trevor's lovely wife Jill and their little girl. Uh, thoughts with you uh, at the absence and the passing of Eileen. So just wanted to mention that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Interesting travel news this morning. You know this annoying rule that we've had with us since forever it seems that when you go to the airport, you can't take a bottle of water or you can't take a can of Coke or you can't take a bottle of baby's feed or anything like that onto the plane unless it's less than 100 mil, which is a tiny little bottle, tiny little bottle. So you see people like drinking the last of their water or their Coke before going through security or dumping stuff or putting a load of things into little plastic bags and all that. Shannon Airport has announced that that... Restriction has been removed, and I think that is effective immediately. I want to talk to travel journalist from Air and Travel magazine, Owen Curry, about this. Owen, is is it just Shannon have done it, or is it the beginning of the end of the rule? Good morning. Uh, yes, indeed, PJ. The beginning of the it's not the the uh, it's not even the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. That great Sean O'Casey. Uh, quote, which of course was stolen by Winston Churchill, but um, we have a long way to go. Shannon is leading the charge in this. In fact, Donegal uh, has led the charge as well. They've introduced the same 
what is involved is a new, uh, a whole new category of security scanner. This means that your laptop can stay in the bag, um, and it also means now the next day just the liquids can stay in the bag. It's a big development, but we can't celebrate too early because the technology is quite expensive mm. and the bigger airports are going to be uh, the last to implement it. It's all very well if you're going from Shannon directly to somewhere, but if you're passing through somewhere like Heathrow, you have to re- obey the old rules, but it's a big step forward and really important. Can we have a little history lesson on it's been there, I didn't realise, for 16 years. Hard to believe it was uh, introduced virtually overnight in 2006. Uh, plot was uncovered that people were going to bring explosives on several aircraft and they were going to disguise it as bottles of uh, or cans of soft drink and then assemble on board. It caused a huge unnerving in the security and the aviation community. And the only way they could see of doing this was banning all liquids being taken on board. Now, what happened was just chaotic. People's bottles taken, particularly in the early stages, uh, lots and lots of bottles being taken off people, presents, uh, olive oil, perfume, stuff like that. Mm. Um, people got more used to it now, but it still happens. And do you know what really is the killer, the crunch? You just outlined it all there. But the crunch is when you're transferring to an airport and you go to an unexpected second or third security check, sometimes at the gate, that can happen at Charles de Gaulle where I am in France where I am at the moment and they, you, you, have, you think you have uh, a situation where you can bring your water on board and then it's taken off you again it's really really been difficult yeah. it's been infuriating for passengers and as I say the end is in sight but it's a little bit early to celebrate mm. it'll also do a lot for the airport the number of trays the average number of trays taken by a passenger is 2.7 so you can imagine... These are the little um, plastic that, trays you put your stuff in going through, of course, yeah. Absolutely. Scanner, and you have to come back, and there's, there's a fellow who has his belt on, and some airports, uh, you know, some of the, lots of the American airports especially, ask you to take your shoes off, and everything's a separate tray. It delays everything. And what we have since COVID is the length of security queues have to be extended already because of social distancing. Uh, Dublin Airport has a huge problem, 35-minute queues quite regular in both Terminal 1 and Terminal 2 for security, whereas the max you'd have expected before was 15. So all of this will help um, the number of trays taken when the trials went through can go down to just over one and in fact just under one per passenger in summertime and people don't have coats. So it will take a lot of pressure off security as well. Airports love it, passengers love it, but the technology is expensive and the only airports that we've seen are Shannon and Donegal in Ireland, but I think Eindhoven has done it, Milan, the two airports have done it, the big airport, the large airport in Copenhagen is doing it, but the rest were still waiting. The UK has has said they want all their airports to have it by December. Uh, We good luck with that, as they say, because uh, it's expensive tech as well, Owen, isn't it? It's it's about two and a half million, I think, uh, Shannon have put into this. Now, it mightn't all be to do with this security uh, with the trace scanners, uh, but it's part of a 17 million redevelopment of Shannon that's going ahead at the moment. There is also an issue with the um, personal, you know, the, the body scanners that you walk through, uh, and that has been upgraded massively as well because yeah. people with pacemakers yes, right. uh, can now go through. Yeah, yeah. What used to really infuriate people, and, and you know, travelling with small children, you know, bottles. 
bottles of baby yeah. food. That used to annoy the hell out of people. Bottles of baby food and gel. You have a little thing of sweets, a Turkish delight or something, and I've seen airport security taking those off people. And then, to add insult to injury, I don't know, they, they don't do it anymore. Uh, there were so many bottles in Dublin Airport in 2006 that they auctioned them all off for charity. So all of these things, which were explosive devices that couldn't be carried on board an aircraft <laughs> and were too dangerous to handle... <laughs> We're now all sold, and you, some of your premium whiskey you were bringing to Uncle John Joe in New York ended up going to somebody else. Yeah, that was the other thing, too. You could, you could buy the whiskey for Uncle John Joe in duty-free. Yeah, absolutely. But you couldn't <laughs> bring it to... <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing was, you couldn't bring it through to duty-free. You couldn't get it through the security as far as duty-free. But there's the same bottle, and it's 20% more expensive. And that used to drive people around with one. In in fairness, a lot of them allow you, if there is a bottle or something in it, they allow you to go out and check in. Uh, It happened on the the internal flight from Marseille to Nantes. Uh, The lady I was with, uh, she had inadvertently brought a bottle of wine in it and they allowed her back out to check in. But it adds hassle and it drives the blood pressure up because most people are already... That horrible horrible smell of Jack Daniels when you land. (laughs) (laughs) Spills all over your your clothes that you're going to the dress gala ball in. Yeah, I know that It's going to be a while. I think people will be asking very quickly whether, whether we'll be in Cork this year. I'm hoping to travel out of Cork myself in July. I, I don't suspect it'll be done before then. We can ask them, though. Yeah, um, it's expensive enough, and Cork are, are doing terrific work, actually. The the, upgrade, the, the controversial uh, upgrading of the runway and everything that was brought forward, they've done terrific work during yeah, COVID. Uh, I'd imagine uh, that at some stage they're planning the internal security uh, upgrade as well. And speaking of COVID, and lastly and briefly, Owen, I, I, facing into a summer... Will we be back to normal holidays? We certainly will within Europe, but I wouldn't hold out much hopes for beyond there because uh, the rest of the world is moving much more slowly and some of the uh, drama that we saw in Europe is happening in Asia at the moment. Uh, for instance, Malaysia only, re- only got rid of mandatory hotel quarantine quite recently. What we're seeing in Europe, right across Europe, is the case rates are going up very high and Germany, uh, which was always very close clear to the bottom, near to the bottom, is now in fifth or sixth place. We're about mid-table, but the death rates are not rising yeah. and restrictions are being removed yeah. uh, in different different rates in different places. But, the, the, you know, the case rates would certainly, if we were looking at them in, in uh, this time last year, everybody would be a bit more panicky yeah. about it. But the digital COVID cert, um, all of that yeah. has enabled us to travel. And you've got to remember that the, the crunch points for COVID are the crowded cities and usually the less fashionable suburbs and the holiday spots tend to be yeah. all through this have had lower rates. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, Owen, thank you very much. We'll speak again, I suppose, throughout the year about travel issues. That's Owen Curry of Air and Travel magazine. So this, it's Shannon, the rule is gone, whether it'll be in Cork very soon, we don't know. We might pop a question to them and see have they any plans to do away with the, the 100 mil rule. But it's not gone everywhere just yet. It's gone in Shannon and it's gone in Donegal. Now I don't know anyone, the last time anyone flew out of Donegal, I certainly haven't flown into or out of Donegal ever, but it's gone in Donegal and it's gone in Shannon it's still in Dublin, it's still in Cork and it's presumably still in Waterford and it's still in most of the UK. But we'll get there, slowly but surely we'll get there. And I love that bit on, I remember, remind me of that story where they took so many bottles they took so many bottles off people in Dublin Airport in the course of a year 
that they 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 had a, loads of them. So they had um, they had an auction. They gave they they sold them for charity. So all these potentially explosive bottles of whiskey and gin and brandy and vodka and whatever you're having yourself, they were sold. All these potentially explosive bottles of stuff, gas and oh two one. Oh, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Where did I get the O two one from? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Just on COVID, I was on Cove Connect bus yesterday morning, going to work. I was the only person wearing a mask. I work in a pharmacy, so I wear it in work anyway. But I would still wear it in shops too. In contrast, on the two oh eight uh, to Bishopstone, the city most were wearing them. And a WhatsApp says with regard to the numbers reported since. Patrick's Day, if we know about 64,000 of them, imagine the real number the ones with antigens only if the ones who can't be bothered to get a test in the first place are, are there too yeah, I get that I get that we just need to be careful just need to be careful we'll be alright 0818 96, 96 96 have you ever had a dog attack your dog and have you ever wondered what your rights are if that should happen? Like, if you know who owns the dog who attacked your dog. Have you got any rights? Fergus is wondering about exactly that after a very unfortunate experience over the weekend. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Fergus, you've had a, a rough weekend, your family. Uh, lovely little dog attacked while your wife had him out walking. Yes. What, what happened? Well, PJ, um, I was away myself for the, for, uh, for the weekend and my wife brought the dog for a walk, um, as you do, as many people do, of a, a beautiful weekend like we just had. And uh, in short, um, while she was doing her usual loop, uh, two dogs uh, were crossed the road, basically. Uh, and she was aware that the, she heard some barking. She lifted up her own dog into her hand, uh, our dog, and she um, she walked on. But the dog, when she turned around, two dogs came bounding out at her, jumped up and basically uh, attacked her and the dog. Uh, they dragged the dog out of her hands. Um, she tried to hang on to him, but they were too strong. Was there anybody with them? Uh, was there any? There was nobody at all with them. Not at all. They had come out of this particular house, and uh, the gate was open. Uh, um, I, I'm not very aware whether they should have been muzzled or not. I know some dogs might be, but the uh, the bottom line is that they attacked my my, my wife and the uh, they did the dog. Uh, our dog Del Boy. We called him after only fools and horses character. He's a bit of a chap, but anyway, he he was basically dragged to the ground. She held on to him with a, a leash. She was 
was then pulled as they pulled at the actual dog into the middle of the road. Um, thankfully, uh, there were several people came along that particular road. There was a man who had um, uh, a puncture just up the road and he, he came running down with with uh, a, basically a wheel brace uh, to fend off the dogs from uh, both our, our dog and the actual um, and my wife. And then also there was two people on a bike, a motorbike, and they were fantastic. One apparently stopped uh, the traffic coming up and down because they were out in the middle of the road at this particular time um, and the other uh, true kick at the, at the attacking dogs. Now they did retreat and headed back into a house and uh, but unfortunately there was so much damage done that my dog uh, survived until this morning but died of a heart attack because there was just too much damage done. Ah, the poor, the poor little dog. Poor little dog. In, in fairness, PJ, he was a healthy guy up to the minutes like and this is what uh, uh, concerns me. Uh, we have many people going out for a walk, and especially around COVID times when we all, many of us were taking our walk. That particular route that she was on was one we took many a time in COVID ourselves. But um, here she was, uh, the dog went out healthy and unfortunately never came home. So I'll say no more. In fact, only in the last hour we buried him. Um, so look, my whole point is I would have a great concern with, with regard to uh, how this is looked after in the sense that um, many of us all over the country are walking our dogs. The last thing we want to do is to be attacked out of the, uh, randomly like yeah. so. Yeah, there is. And I, I know that we don't want to go into any detail because we're not going to identify anybody. And, no, and, no. and that's good. But at the same time, I think, you know, as a dog owner and dog lover, you know, you'd like to know, well, have I any rights here? Do, do I have any recourse I, I, I do think that the, uh, the owner of the attacking dog is known uh, to us, um, having said that, um, and wouldn't live a million miles away. But the bottom line is this. Um, I've only been talking to other people who would know more. And basically what you have to do is you have to get... Uh, a, 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 a form or basically the law goes back to 1986 it's the control of dogs act mm. and under section 21 or section 22 of it you basically fill in a form uh, it's a 91.1 form and you will then have to submit that to the district court um i've been talking to the dog warden uh, today and and, and, and and really th th their powers are extremely limited they, are. Uh, they can't e they can't even enter onto somebody's house um, they can now this was just an argument that I, I I had with the dog warden and again um the the point was this the dog warden um can go on if there's a, a lack of duty of care for the actual um, dog itself. So if a dog isn't being looked after properly, the dog warden has a right to go in. So if a dog wasn't being fed properly or was mm. very mangy because they weren't being looked after, that's grand. But it, it, when it came to, let's say, the dog, the, the dog owner not actually minding their dog, then yeah. there was absolutely, there was no law. So yeah. for me, it, it, that that surely should be duty of care as yeah. well because you have to where you know, you have to know where your dog is going. Yeah. And and if your dog does something outside of your premises or away from yourself, surely you are responsible for it because yeah. you have a duty of care with for that dog or, one, you know, with, with what the dog does. One would think so. It is a legal point. But for now, you're you're more than the loss of a family pet. And, and as, as, as a dog lover myself, but I have two idiots uh, you know, but either, if, <laughs> if if anyone harmed a hair, a hair on either of their heads, I'd be yes. furious, absolutely furious. Absolutely, Do you know. And likewise, likewise. 
and, and and I suppose dogs really are all very very personal personal to us all. Yeah. They we, you know, they're a member of the family nowadays. God be with the days they were working, but they're very much a member of the family, and they all have their own little characteristics which we love. And so therefore we're 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 in we're we're very upset at the moment naturally, as would anybody else in this story. Can I can I case. quote to you, Fergus, uh, the words yes. of a wise old vet? Um, uh, he was a wise old man he's no longer with us now but I remember I lost a dog one time uh, and he said to me you know that pain you have that's a little piece of your heart that he took with him to remember your smell well done well done. Isn't that nice? a lot of big pain. Uh, look, everybody will know this. They understand that, you know, losing a dog is a very, very, very difficult thing. Um, uh, but when you lose a dog under tra- tragic circumstances, yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. Uh, that is a lovely quote, PJ, certainly. And uh, I'll keep it in mind. Thank you, you very, very Fergus, much. Fergus, my, my regards to your wife because it's a tough time. It's a tough time. Yes, and, it and is a tough time. You take care now. Thanks a million, PJ. Talk to you soon. Take care. Uh, and you do have to wonder... Um, like, what are your rights? You you have precious few. If you're out with your little dog and another dog savages your dog, kills your dog, what rights do you have? Have you any comeback legally against the owner of the other dog? The, the, the law is about as clear as mud on, on whether you do or not. Ah, you feel sorry for him though, don't you? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Just a couple of comments on Goulding's. Uh, we talked. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before 10, about the planning road that is brewing with Goulding's Fertiliser moving their base from Centre Park Road down to Belvelli to Marino Point. We spoke to Councillor Marcia Dalton on the passage side about her objection and the objection of the people of passage. We spoke to Owen on the Belvelli side about their objection. Their objection is based on the fact that the road structure just isn't there for this. And on the passage side, they're talking about noise pollution and, and excess lights and and. and that kind of thing from busy ships up and down. John in Cove says only recently a part broke off a truck on Bellavelli Bridge and blocked it. An ambulance was trying to get to Cove and was stuck as a result. Something needs to be done about that bridge. Tony says the residents had to fight for years to get the noise levels down at Tivoli Docks. I think it should be considered very carefully. The residents in the marina are delighted though that this has all gone through. If you go down the Crosshaven Road, says Kate, in Carrigaline, you can hear all the traffic like you were there. 
Also, the road to Fota is appalling. And anyone was complaining about it even before this was mooted. It's just a country road. I know what you mean about that Crosshaven Road, Kate, because if the wind is blowing in a certain direction and if the water is up high, you can hear every sound coming down across the water. Thanks for that. And then Fergal, who says... No, not our Fergal, another Fergal. Who says, not in my backyard, from the people on both sides of the water. Trust planners, road engineers and environmental engineers and just stop objecting because you don't want change near your home. Fergal says he's pro-developing Cork for the benefit of us all and for our future. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Written and performed by Pat Fitzpatrick and directed by Pat Kiernan, The Everyone presents the world premiere of An Evening with Reggie. The one-man show from Cork's most beautifully spoken Man. Tickets are now on sale from the Everyman box office for a number of shows taking place from March 31st to April 16th. Access all areas. Coming off a UK tour with James Blunt, Gavin James returns to Cork in April for two shows at Cork Opera House, taking place on the 2nd and 3rd. Tickets are still available, but selling fast for the second show on April 3rd from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Paul says, I thought those two dogs would have to be put down and the owner uh, held responsible. Why didn't they call the guardie? You would think, wouldn't you, Paul? Fortunately, it's not at all as simple as that. Cork Koipu says, poor guy. Yeah, what else can you say? And dear PJ, my heart is breaking for that man. Yeah, it's awful sad. It's awful sad of chatting to him yesterday. 0818 Now, Ashling, this has nothing to do with, with, with COVID. So, so we'll, we'll start at that point. But you had to bring, uh, you had to bring a, a small person to CUH for an x-ray. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Yeah, I brought my nine-year-old into the CUH last night for um, an x-ray. And so when we got in, this isn't a giving out call at all. It's the opposite, actually. Good. So when we got in, we were told, look, you might be an hour or an hour and a half waiting to be seen. And then there'll be a long wait after that again. So that was fine. No problem. We sat for about half an hour just in the reception area. And then the next thing, um, a lovely nurse came out and called six of us in. So it was six children and their parents or whatever. And so we all then sat in the tiny pediatric waiting room. I don't know if you know it. Like there's no window, you know, 15 of us between women, men and children and all on top of each other, like no social distancing, any of that. Anyway, that was grand. And um, like the staff couldn't have been nicer, to be fair. Like I thought it was amazing what they were doing. There were an awful lot of very, very, very sick children. Like I I was told then eventually um, three and a half hours later, we eventually got to see the triage nurse. Like I never would have seen that before. Like luckily we haven't had to go into the emergency room very often with our kids. But anytime we have, there's 
never that much of a wait for the children to be seen, you know. And um, three and a half hours just was an awful long time just to be seen, to be told that, oh, yeah, look, we'll we'll get it x-rayed in maybe around four hours. And this was going on to nearly 11 o'clock and my nine-year-old was absolutely jaded. And I just said, oh, okay. And then she just said, look, where are you living? And I said, Cardline. So she said, look, head away home, get a night's sleep and you're more than welcome to come back in the morning. And you know what? I was actually apologising for being there because it was such a small, simple thing in our our eyes. Like when I saw how sick other people were there and how overrun all the nurses and doctors were, I was actually apologising. I was like, I'm so sorry for taking up your time and whatever. And she was saying, gee, Chris, you're like, you can't get a GP, can't do an x-ray for you or whatever. And like, as well as that, then housekeeping had come in and given all the kids juice and biscuits and Ah, tea for the parents and everything. Like that was, you know, they didn't have to do it. And I thought it was amazing because like one parent in particular was getting fairly fed up and, you know, emerged more urgent children were coming in and skipping the queue as such but that's what happens in the emergency that's the triage system that's the triage system you get your place if someone comes in that needs yeah yeah Yeah, she was raging so I just kind of I thought like there was no need for it it's not the doctors or the nurses faults and you know it was just I was so thankful that that nurse had given us a bit of you know a bit of direction and said look it'll be an awful long time you might as well go home and come back in the morning and luckily like we have health insurance so I'm just going to go to Affidea or whatever you call it what is it Affidea yeah Yeah. Yeah. we're just going to go there today like it just means that she's had another day off school but look we're very lucky it's something very minor but I just wanted to tell everybody just how bad it is in there that you know if there's any way at all of going anywhere else I would yeah, yeah, and, and that the staff are absolutely amazing, doing yeah. such a fantastic job. And and it's so good to hear a call like this. Actually, Ashling, it is. And you make the point about the triage system, which I think, and I'm not patronising people. I think some people don't understand it. You get seen by the nurse, and you literally yeah. get into get put into a place on the list based on the nurse's assessment of how urgent your situation is. But if someone comes in, in the middle of it, who needs to go to yeah. the top of it, you get bumped back. That That's that's universal. Now, it's slower here yeah. than it is in many other parts of the world. But that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And and shouting at a nurse or shouting at a young a young doctor or porter because you've had yeah. been... That's not fair. And there's too much of that goes on. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's no need. You know, there's absolutely no need. Especially when the children are there watching it all happening you know I think adults need to take a big deep breath and just step back and just think like okay I'm a role model here for children and just calm down I know it's not nice to be sitting there for hours but everybody else is sitting there as well and if a child like a child had come in in his mother's arms he was limp and there was a specialist ready waiting for him you know like obviously he was more urgent than the minor issues that we were dealing with you know Yes, and I think yeah. as well, Ashling, a bit of advice, if you're going to a hospital with a child and, like you're in your case now, not particularly urgent, but you wanted to get seen, bring a book, bring a toy, bring an iPad. You're yeah, going to be spending absolutely. time. Yeah. You know, you're going to be spending time. All right, listen, thank yeah. you for your call and I hope everything will be okay. Thanks a million. All right, take care. Cheers. 0818 96 96 96. You were advised, of course, to contact your GP. 
or South Dock or St Mary's in Grunabraher before going into uh, the ED. Or if you have health insurance, you can go to any one of the other clinics, like go to Affidea or you can go to the VHI clinic or any other place like that. But that was Ashton's experience and thank you for coming to tell us that this morning. Every so often you hear a story of a man who just will not give in to illness, to tragedy, to setbacks in life and just gets up and does things because he can, because he wants to. And uh, Rodrigo Boroski, I think you come definitely into that category. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Now, you teach jiu-jitsu here in Cork. I'll talk more, more about that in a minute. You're originally Brazilian. When were you first diagnosed with cancer? Oh, I was 14 years old. September. Yeah, it was in September because my birthday was in July when my mother said that she was pregnant in September. <laughs> I, we discovered that I was cancer. Okay, and you were just a long 14. time ago. 14. Yeah, 14. And I did treat uh, the first case because I had three cases. Uh, the first case I did treat 14, almost to 18. And uh, I got in remission and after cured. And when I was 29, the cancer came back. It's the same cancer that I had when I was a teenager because I had a medulloblastoma. Yeah. It's a brain cancer. Yeah. Like in kids, it's usual happen. But when coming to adults, it's much more aggressive. It's like uh, kill. Like just two percent of uh, adults have a medulloblastoma die. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and you had it a third time, and then you went to study medicine, I think, and you quit that because of a tragedy. What happened there, mate? Yeah, no, because it's like. Uh, because I I was too much in the hospitals and everything, and I saw how much the doctors care, my oncologists, neurologists, uh, surgeons, how much he care about not just me but another patients, you know. And I thought, oh no, I you I want to do this shit. <laughs> and I study, 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 and I was three years doing the course, and my first girlfriend. We do the course together, but uh, she had a crash car and she died. Oh my God! Nice. Yeah, and and like uh, you know, when you get in panic, I, I enter in class home and oh no, it's not for me. And after that, I change all the things in my life. Yeah. I change for textile engineer and graphic designer. I did do two courses at the same time. Yeah. And uh, now I know how to. Stitch the clothes <laughs> for you as well as stitching. You, you, you stop stitching people and started stitching clothes. And how did jujitsu come about? Because I know you, you you did learn judo as a kid. Yeah, like I'm a black belt in judo. I did start judo when I was four years old because I was very indisciplined kid. And uh, my mother said to her friend, "Listen, I need to find something for Rodrigo spend energy, or you kill him." My mother was very cute, <laughs> and uh, and her friend said, "Look, my son is doing judo. Why you don't try?" Mm-hmm. And I started doing judo, and uh, I was training judo. And I had a friend 
that he was in jiu-jitsu. And, uh, but, uh, like, as a grappling sport, because judo, it's uh, hip throw, takedowns. Yes. And when we talk about jiu-jitsu, it was like this. Oh, this is a gay sport. Man, hugging man. That's <laughs> not for us. People will give out to you for saying that, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. So you went to train in jiu-jitsu. And, of course, there is Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, is, a, is an actual... Machine. Yeah, yeah, because like a, like in here in Ireland have a pubs every corners in Brazil every corners have a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools. Yeah, yeah. So you trained. Now, the obvious question that people are screaming at me to ask you is, how did you end up in Ireland and in Cork? Yeah, because like I was saying, my cancer had a mutation when I was uh, 29. And the doctor said to me that because I had metastasis when the, the cancer spread for all body. And the doctor said to me, look, you have maximum 13 months and you die. And I like I did cry more or less for 20 minutes, something like that. And I said, OK, <laughs> what we can do it. And uh and uh, they said, oh, no, have nothing too much to do, but we can do some things for you. Don't feel pain, like morphine, try to do some chemo. And I said, oh, okay. And But, like, the things in my life never was too easy. And I thought, Jesus, I never give up. Jiu-Jitsu teach this, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes you are on the ground, you think that is over. But ground is our game, you know? We need to be very shallow for for submit the our opponents and I started searching 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 for different uh, different treatments or that could make my life a little bit better and I discovered one doctor in Brazil his name is Paulo Rolf he's in Brazil he's the top one oncologist and they considered him top five in the world I go to him and I spoke to him and he said, Rodrigo, your doctors, the diagnostic is, is right. We have not too much to do, but we have that time a long time ago, yeah. like more than 10 years ago, that they started working with stem cells. Stem cells, Instructions yeah. of stem cells. And it uh, works like a transplant of... Uh, uh, I, I don't know how yeah, to it's say it's okay. It's stem cell treatment, yeah, and it worked. It worked. Yeah. It and, worked for uh, you. And then someone said to you, "So someone said to you, go go to go to Ireland." We the, the our favorite bit is they didn't like Dublin and came to Cork. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because it's like this. I I when I I beat the cancer for the second time, I decided to change my life. I have a very stable life, you know, but uh, I was not happy. I want to change. I I was I, I know Asia. I know all American continent, but I never been in Europe. And I had one friend that uh, that was in Dublin, and he said, "Oh, come in to be with me." You know that sabbatic uh, year that you take just for you. Yeah. And I thought, no, that's okay. I arrived in Dublin. But I really didn't like, you know, yeah. like, uh, oh, no, too busy. People is not good manners. And yeah. I had another friend living in Cork. Yeah. And they and we came here and I fall in love for Cork, you know, oh, because well. it's at the same time that Cork, it's small compared to my towns in Brazil. Like my town in Brazil, it's six million people. Oof. 
Well, yeah, that's more like than we have in Ireland. Oh, uh, Ireland! And when did you like you, you opened up here in Cork, and and the place now is is out in Blackpool, and it's called Riders. You've already have you had a world champion already? Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, my my student now, unfortunately, he's not more with me. Like we decided to everyone take your own path, but uh, he's the first time uh, he first students represent Ireland to win uh, Abu Dhabi World Pro. Wow. Now he's two times. Now he's two times from my hands. He's two times world champion. Wow. Uh, uh, seven or eight times European champion. He has 100, 100 gold medals. You know? Ah, for goodness sake. So you really are one heck of a good teacher, uh, Rodrigo. And are you taking students all the time? Yeah, like we, like uh, Jiu-Jitsu is very tough sports, you know, like in usual, these students getting one month probatory time. Why? Because sometimes you, you go there, but jiu-jitsu, like a life, you need to put effort. That's right. Do you understand? I don't yeah. like that people go to my school and spend their time, just pay the membership and don't come. Yeah. This is not the students that I look. Yeah. Our school is very selective, you know. Yeah. I have a friend who, who's working so hard to get his black belt he's based in New Jersey and he's working so hard to get his black belt but there's so much work and dedication in it you really have to get into it but you can do it for fun as well can't you oh no of course you don't need to be like jiu-jitsu was not like I say to my students jiu-jitsu is not for medals it's not for competition jiu-jitsu is for defend yourself in the street like uh, my youngest student has two years and a half my old students almost 70 what? Do you understand? Yeah, 70. everybody. Because jiu-jitsu, what means jiu-jitsu? Using the strength of your opponent yeah. against him. Yes. It's a, a, a liver system. Yes, right. We, like, uh, jiu-jitsu is for having fun, like everything that you do, but you need to have a focus. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You understand? I do. I do. I do. As I said, I, I, I've talked a lot about it with my, with my pal who's, who's uh, working hard and his black belt. And it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's a, whole, it's a whole lifestyle rather than just a sport, rather than just a skill. But you, you consider Cork to be home now? Oh, yeah. Look, I'm, I was born in Brazil, but I'm Irish now. I just, look, I'm just half Irish because I don't drink alcohol. Because if I did drink, <laughs> If I did drink, I would be hundred percent Irish. <laughs> Do you know what? You got a you got a great way about you, Rodrigo. And how is the how is the health? Like I never felt so strong. Now in August, I will complete five years of remission good, of good. cancer. Because now, when you are in remission, don't means that you are cured. But the, the, the sickness is not working. Right. Do you understand what That's I mean? Right. After five years, I will have my last exams, my last checkup in July. After that, the doctor, you say, you got it. Or, yeah. oops. Well, you know what? <laughs> we wish you luck and continued good health. And people are already messaging us about your, about your club. Uh, he's a legend since this message to come in. Rodrigo, great to speak with you and good luck with the club. Uh, his, his, his club in, in Blackpool. Uh, Riders. Nice fella. I'd say he could talk to me until about tomorrow morning, but it's great. Nice fella, Rodrigo. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Remember I was talking yesterday on the programme to Councillor Liam Quaid about the latest developments in the Onakura story. Uh, we asked HSE for a comment for a statement in relation to that conversation. We've got it. I'll bring it to you before we finish up today. Uh, HSE have responded to our conversation with uh, Councillor Liam Quaid. Also, must remind you at this stage, it's Daffodil Day on Friday, Friday, March 25th, for the Irish Cancer Society and Cork's 96MM is a proud supporter, once again, of Daffodil Day 2022. Daffodils are available from any of the volunteers and they help to fund free cancer support services and life-changing cancer research. If you'd like to take part or donate for Daffodil Day, all the information you need is at cancer.ie. 0818 96 96 96. Also, I think I completely forgot to give you this last hour. That's our one second of David Gray. Right, what you do is name the song. Name the song uh, for a chance to win two tickets to see him at uh, Musgrave Park on the 18th of June. Thanks to our friends at MCD. You can buy tickets for that gig also at ticketmaster.ie. But name that tune in one second to win two tickets today. 0818 96 96 96. Now our history is full of stories of remarkable women. But they're stories that aren't always told. We hear about the men of 1916, we hear about the men of the Civil War. Sometimes we don't hear about the women. And that will hopefully change following the publication of a book and the presentation of a play uh, by Karen Minahan, um, who's put a lot of work in, into celebrating these women who, I think, Karen, it's fair to say we all knew they were there. We even knew some of their names, but we didn't fully appreciate their role in the turning points of our history. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks Thanks for talking to me. Uh, what you've said there is, is absolutely right. I think these there are so many stories out there that we just haven't heard about. And m- my book is called Extraordinary Ordinary Women because it somehow celebrates the spirit and the determination and the humility, actually, of these women that just their stories haven't been told at all as far as I can make out, or they're told really quietly um, in, within families. They, you know, you could, uh, the, the, the subline, the subtitle is untold stories from the founding of the state. And in fact, they could be also be whispered stories. Some of them are whispered stories, but some of them, I think, have not been told at all before. The men went out to fight and went out to, to but the men, the women, a lot of the women went, went out as well, but they were suppliers. Yeah. They were... They were they, yeah. Some actually, when you look at it, Karen, I think some of them were the best uh, secret intelligence agents known to men. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Really, and I suppose at the t- certainly early on, the women weren't, you know, in t- in terms of of that kind of story and of say of the common Amman and uh, and even those who uh, did weren't allowed to be common Amman members because they were too valuable. Um, they were providing information through their jobs, as you know, either in the post office. There's certainly one of the women in the book whose family had a small post office just outside of Skull, uh, but there were other women just watching what was going on. They were positioned in uh, places where they were either in shops or they were in pubs or or, or they were friendly with people uh, who, whose families had pubs and they were and they were kind of either overhearing conversation or becoming friendly with either RIC or other people who would give them information. Um, that it, that information gathering was crucial to it, and then the passing of that information on through dispatches, um, and uh, or through meeting meeting yeah. members of the family. Often it was members of the family as well that were involved in the volunteers. Now the book is full of stories, but you've also written a short play about one such woman. Yeah. Tell me the story of Rose O'Connell, one Main Street Skibbereen, because she's not a, a name that jumps out of a history book. No, and she's not a woman who was involved in the fight as such. I suppose in in this book, what I want to celebrate are 13 stories. I, it's not just about, say, the, the, the fight for independence um, and, and, and the fight in the Civil War, but also how stories affected people and how they survived and how their sto- stoicism and their, their determination helped them survive it. And Rose O'Connell was running a business with her husband in the main street in Skibbereen. And when I put the call out for stories, her uh, great-grandson contacted me. He's a family historian. And he gave me information about her where she had two sons and they were teenagers when the War of Independence was going on. And in fact, when when you come to the Civil War, uh, they were just 19 and 15. The oldest was Tommy. He was 19 and Billy was 15. Now, they were sharing a bedroom. They were sharing a bed upstairs and they took two different sides in in the argument over the treaty. So Rose... Rose had to deal with them. So she set down the, the ground rules. The name of the play is Home Rules, which I think is fantastic, but it's not mine. I must, I must credit Reddy, Reddy O'Regan uh, with that name. And she set down the ground rules on how they were to behave. So hold on. She, had two sons, she had two sons yes. sharing a bed, let alone a bedroom, which yes. that was not uncommon yes. in the 19th But they were on two sides of the Civil War argument. Two sides of the Civil War. And she they had, had to keep peace thing. in the house. She had to keep peace in the house. And could you imagine, like, they're already describes them uh, from, from family lore as being kind of lively and feisty and boisterous. Um, the older son was a bit more uh, solid, probably. Right. Uh, the, the, photo, the photographs of him are, you know, there's a photograph of him there from the, I think, in 1924, he was in the GAA. The younger son seems to be a bit more, but, but then, you know, he was a bit more uh, kind of... Um, uh, lively or or uh, uncontrollable, perhaps. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to think yeah. of how she did that. I mean, her yeah, negotiating and... skills must have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think often there is a sense where you you 
probably know, PJ, just like I do, the strength of women yeah. and women in the house. You know, I, we, we keep talking about feminism and about how women, you know, don't, aren't seen and, and don't have positions of power. And certainly that's the case. But, but, but kind of within communities, like I grew up in Clonakilty and within that community, the women were incredibly strong and um, able, you know, uh, and, and capable. And so Rose O'Connell was running their house and really she was running the business. It seems like her husband, in fact, uh, ready, read, readily uh, acknowledges this, that he would have had a drink problem. And he was negotiating with the lads. And when he'd do a deal, he'd get luck money and they talk about him going into the pub next door. And, and of course, the luck money was used to spend to, to spend on a round for everybody, do you know, so that she was the one at home kind of keeping things in order and in check and looking after the kids and stuff. And it was she set down the ground rules. They each had their own place at the table. Um, there was Ruth. And when they went out the door of, of the house, they each had to go either direction uh, for 100 yards. And she reckoned by that time, they'd probably have gotten over the Taspy that was wanting them to, to kind of have a go at the other, do you know? Oh, there's a great whole world. Taspy. I love that word. I love that word. So you're putting the play the play will be on on the thirty first at the Cork West yeah. Cork Arts Centre and the book is available in pretty much all good bookshops, is it? Well, the, the the bookshop will be available uh, in in at the moment it's kind of local. I suppose our stories are West Cork based. Um and they kind of go from Castletown Bear right through to Tim League. Um, because just that that it was, I was kind of linked in with the Illin Arts Centre and I got funding from the Heritage Council. And and so that's where we started with it. But I have 13 stories, PJ, and I have four sitting there that I could work on straight away. And I have no doubt that Cork City is full of stories. Uh, in fact, that's where I started I, because um, a, a very good friend of mine, her great-grandfather was killed by the IRA in Cork City and her mother was the last one left of her family once right. her dad had died. And I was wondering, how the hell do you cope with that? He was a guy called Alfred Riley. He was in, um, and he was killed in Douglas, um, probably because he was Protestant uh, at the time. So so in this book, I set beside, I, I side by side, I set the stories of say the, the women who were part of the common man and who were just incredibly organised and organising and captains and secretaries of their local branches and of the district and then side by side of that I have stories of the heartbreak of women who were surviving what right. was happening you know what I mean yeah. uh, in the hope that we will never go there again you know yeah I think you've done I think you've done a great service to to forgotten women uh, and yeah and thank you it's it's, it's, it's yeah it's thank excellent. you for saying that yeah. I, 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 because I think, in fact, I think, like when they talk about Kilmichael, sorry, I'm going off on my rant You're now. Okay, drive but on. Uh, when they, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, when they talk about Kilmichael or um, Upton or those kind of places, like Kil, in Kil, in in um, you know, they needed the women. They needed the amount of logistics in organising all of those men who were there, who were who the volunteers who were there that day. They needed the women were part of of carrying the dispatches, and I think they. I think the stories need to be told side by side, actually. And I just, I find it, and the question is, why weren't they told as well? Why were they told quietly mm. or why weren't they told? Uh, and of course, there is, there is the whole, there is still a legacy of, of the war. And like, for example, um, 
uh, my mum uh, grew up in Clonakilty and I said to her at one stage, she lived in 58 Pier Street on the main street in Clon. I said, Mum, did you know Kate Murphy who lived at 54 Pier Street because she was the captain of the local common? And my mum said, do you mean Auntie Katie? So Auntie Katie was this loving uh, elderly woman who lived up the street who fed everybody who came into her mm. my mum would go into her house because her she was an aunt Katie at this stage was rearing her two nieces and um, nobody and my mum had no idea she had no idea until I told her that aunt Katie was head and tail of the common man and clan <laughs> You know, and that's a a continuing story. story. That's a wonderful story. Karen, listen, I I wish you every success with the project, both the book and and the play. Uh, Karen, thanks for your time. Not at all. It's it's on on the uh, 31st. It's the 31st. In the West West Cork Theatre. West Cork Arts Centre. The line is just about to drop. We got a good conversation. But thank you very much, Karen. Uh, home Rules at the West Cork Arts Centre, March 31st. Uh, fabulous, fabulous. Actually, you know the, the way they talk about the women of the past and how they were unsung? And I was watching, again, I mentioned this twice and I mentioned it yesterday. I was watching that wonderful programme. I think it's a wonderful programme anyway, The Way We Were. Uh, the other night, talking about housing and talking about how, you know, we went from being a a nation where people lived in tenements and slums and back alleys and had nothing, absolutely nothing. And we've been through cycles of it. I know we've been through cycles of it. But one of the contributions there was from Eileen Reid. Now, look, if you're old enough, you know. If you don't, you don't. But she was a Show, a show band star, superstar, and entertainer was Eileen Reid. But her mum, Eileen would be pushing on now, but her mum grew up and raised them in abject poverty. I mean, these people had nothing. They had nothing. And they lived in shacks and hovels. They lived in coal bunkers. Like you, you wouldn't put coal into as and store coal in some of the places they had to make homes out of. And she got very emotional talking about her mum. How the women of those days dragged their families up by their bootstraps out of sheer dedication and love and ability to do it. They were extraordinary women. Extraordinary women. And it's women like that that Karen has written about. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quark's 96FM. Right, a couple of things. Don't let me forget to bring you that statement from Cork Kerry Community Health Care with regard to the latest developments in Onakura. I will do that before we finish. Also, we got a message in, and I imagine this will happen to a lot of people. Someone who doesn't want to go on the air and doesn't want to give their name, but we know who they are. We've managed to verify this. Uh, had had a rent review 
from Cork County Council. Um, and I'll do it now because if I don't, I'll, I'll forget it. So about 30 seconds till we move on to, to that, Fiona. I got a review from Cork County Council, a rent review, which I filled in. They asked for wage slips, which I gave. The wage slips didn't reflect my normal hours over the past year as I had to do a lot of cover work due to COVID-19. Now the review has come back and my rent has been more than doubled. I did as I was asked during the COVID crisis by doing cover and now my rent has gone so high I'll have to choose between rent, food, heat and light. This is what happens when you do the extra during a crisis. This is not fair. When you're asked to step up, you do, and you get punished for it. No wonder people are better off claiming the dole. That's that's a sad story. I wish I could talk to that person, but they want to remain anonymous. I think you can see why. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now lots of things happening on the thirty first of March, including for Network Ireland West Cork, your first in-person event in over two years. Susan Collins Duggan. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good. This is called Boosting Bravery and Confidence. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of people's bravery and self-confidence and ability to put themselves out there, it took a hammering during lockdown, didn't it? Absolutely. It definitely did. And this this is why we're holding this event. And as I said, our first in-person event in over two years, because it is many people have lost that courage, I suppose, to put themselves out there, be it through business or be it through their personal lives. And it's about boosting that confidence again and that self-belief, you know, because it takes bravery to put yourself out there. It takes courage to speak, I always say. And for that, then this will say fun. It's a fun workshop as well at the same time, because I suppose many people are excited to be back in person in a room actually you know face to face meeting we've many people have meet, met each other online in the last two years yeah. but they haven't actually met in person yeah there's a lot of friendships have been made over lockdown between people who've never actually met certainly and i would be an example of that i have met many people online through my business and even through the network group that i've actually never met in person but i've become extremely good friends with them and it's been all through an online platform. Yeah. What is so the it's difference, though, Susan? I, okay, if it's someone you actually know, so let's take those wonderful new friends you haven't physically met yet, but someone that you actually know, like a client that you've done business with a lot. Uh, what is the difference in terms of doing business across a screen or doing business face-to-face if you're doing the same business, if you understand my question? I do. I suppose it's from a point of view of you take communication and many of us, you know, we get energy from each other, you know, being in the same room as people. Um, body language will tell us an awful lot as well. So therefore, when you're on screen, there's only your shoulders upwise, upwards is what's being seen versus, you know, if you're actually in person with somebody, um, we communicate a huge amount through our body language yes. and through our expression, yes. which we don't see as much when we're online. Yes. So that over the two years, someone who would regularly make presentations, say at a meeting or make a pitch at a meeting, they've been doing that in a totally different way and they may have forgotten this, the simple ways of doing it. There's nearly two sets of skills, I suppose, required, you know, for, uh, in-person event versus on camera. 
um, we would often have been dealing with before COVID, I suppose, certainly actors and stuff like that, that would have been just doing acting skills to camera because they would have been going for auditions. Um, but then many people who never had experienced a camera work had then, like you said, to present themselves in a work presentation online. And that took a completely different skill set, which many people took on board mm. and kind of managed their way through it as such. And then now that we are coming back to, you know, both kind of events happening, many people have now forgotten what the in-person feels yeah. like as well. So, so Anna Healy is also going to be talking at it. And Anna is going to work through the fear of feeling and the fear of being judged and the fear of success. Yeah. And so she's going to give some practical uh, tools and practical tips on that side. And then from my side, I'll be speaking about from the communication side, but from public speaking and present yourself back again in person. Yeah. So in the Celtic Ross on the 31st, are there tickets available? Is there a charge for them? Where can they be got? There are tickets are available through Eventbrite, through under the Network Ireland West Cork, and it's called Unleash Your Inner Brave, and tickets are €15. Euros. So it's at 7.30pm from the Celtic Ross Hotel as well, okay. and right. they can link on Eventbrite. All right, good luck, good luck with it, and I'm delighted to see people getting back to in-person events again. That's uh, Susan Collins-Duggan, uh, Theatre, Tricks, Drama and Communications course coach. She'll be part of that event. Uh, in the Celtic Ross on the 31st of March, organised by Network Ireland West Cork. 0818 96 96 96. On Goulding's, talking earlier on this morning about Goulding's and their planning application and to move from Centre Park Road and move across to Belvelli and it's proving to be controversial and all of that. Eugene is always uh, a man who is never afraid to drop us a little bit of history. Just a small little bit of history. Do you ever wonder why the real name of the Glen is Goulding's Glen? Did you? Did you even know? Because the real name, the full name of the Glen is Goulding's Glen. According to Eugene, in the 1850s, the Goulding's built a large factory in the Glen that was used to make fertiliser. And that's why the area became known as Goulding's Glen. The factory closed and was demolished in the mid-20th century. Jenny, Eugene, you're full of information, sir. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Just on that rent review message we got, John in Cove says, I wonder how competent these people are who make these rent reviews and, and what training do they have? Are they accountants, actuaries or just civil servants? Years ago, when this was done in Cove, a review letter was accompanied by a breakdown of the factors used in the decision. But since it's moved all to Clonakilty, this simply doesn't happen. Yeah. We also started this morning, I was saying how awful it was. If you want to know where this happened, you know Penny's on Patrick Street? Directly across the road from Penny's, this beautiful planter. There's loads of them down there, lovely one. And they're starting to bloom and flowers and blooms and Colours and spring, although it doesn't look very springy out there today. Anyway, this thing got toppled over or tumbled over or pulled down. We don't know whether it was knocked down or pulled down or destroyed or demolished or damaged. But it was awful to see. And you're kind of wondering, God, why can't we have nice things? Uh, we, we mentioned that this morning. We shared a picture of the damage done. Peter Horgan says, and remember, we foot the bill to repair and restore it. Cork County Council do that, but we foot the bill. It's, is, it, is it a societal malaise, 
He says, oh, there's posh words, Peter. Is it a societal malaise to just destroy amenities? Yeah, good question. 0818-969696. Go on, tell me what that is. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. And we're turning to eco-versions of everything these days. And you would think, would you not, that one of the ones we'd particularly interested in, the paint we put on the walls of our house. We all love getting our walls painted and sprucing the place up. But the, the smell of paint for the day or two afterwards, it, it, it can be hard to deal with. And if you are an asthmatic or have any kind of a problem like that, it can be a nightmare to, to live with that. Um, and, and generally the makeup of paint over the years has changed. Like we don't have any more lead in paint because we know how dangerous and how poisonous it was. There's a new paint out there called Graffenstone. That's a nice name. Graffenstone, and the specification manager is Pat Gately, and he joins me. Pat, good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Nice to chat to you. The, the makeup of paint has changed many times. Uh, like lead was part of a paint, not 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 anymore. Most yeah. paints are more disposable now; they have to be, so you can just dilute them down and get rid of them safely and carefully. So, what's the next step? What's Graffenstone? Okay, well, Graffenstone, it's uh, kind of repeating what we would have done maybe 30,000 years ago when we were uh, painting the inside of our caves, PJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would have used natural natural products like uh, berries and stuff like that to achieve colours. But basically, Graffenstone has come back to that. So everything in the paints is completely natural. Uh, so there's no hazardous chemicals or solvents um, or biocides or anything in the paints. Uh, so even though you would guess like a, a new smell when you paint your room, uh, asthmatics can, can sleep in there that night, that, you know, that day, because yeah. there's zero additives or zero yeah. hazardous uh, products in it. But that smell um, that hangs around the room for a day or two until you can open the windows and air it out, that's the solvents yeah. evaporating, yeah. isn't it, from exactly. the paint? Yeah. It, Exactly, exactly. And that, that will continue. It will actually continue, you know, for, for, for quite a lot longer than just two days, even though the initial smell you're talking about, you, you know, you're absolutely right on that. That that will be worst for the first couple of days, but it continues. So, um, you know, using completely natural ingredients just gets rid of that issue. Um mm-hmm. So, like our, uh, we ha- we would have a lot of asthmatic clients. We would have uh, our, our paints are, are being used in neonatal emergency uh, wards. You know, where obviously air quality is absolutely key and critical. Um, so, for anybody you know with allergies or asthma, um, then th- this is a solution, uh, and it's a solution we, we know works. Um, even uh, we have clients who have pets who can't handle the the smells and and the odors and the solvents and paints. Uh, so uh, so far so good. We've got good. plenty of happy parrots and pets yeah. around the country as well. And this is because there's none of the traditional solvents, the thinners. There's none of those things in it. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, everything in it is pure uh, natural materials. Um, and uh, there's also graphene in the paint. And obviously that's where the name comes from. Yeah. Uh, but graphene, you know, it's one of the hardest uh, substances known to man. It's about 200 times stronger than uh, the steel. Um, but they figured out how to turn that into a liquid. And that's also in all our paints now. Okay. So it makes it very strong and durable. But again, it's an it's a completely natural product. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah, I, I noticed as well, I mean, any house that has any bit of damp and in any given time of the year, particularly a house that's a few years old, you'll get a bit of damp sure. in the corner, you get a bit of mould up the paint and you wash it off and you paint it over. But this 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 natural paint can can actually block mold, can it? Yeah, well, it's not. It's not that it's blocking it. it it's because the paints are so breedable. Um, what we're used to is is low breedability paints. So that kind of presents the ideal growth conditions for for mold inside and algae outside. Um, but when you've got airflow continually going through the the paint going through the surface mold doesn't like that algae doesn't like that but there's also natural lime in the paint and that's that raises the ph value of the paint and again mold doesn't like that algae doesn't like that so it's not a friendly surface for it to grow on so it just doesn't grow on it that's that's it so uh but it lets damp areas it lets them breed and that that avoids kind of structural more more serious issues you know the next thing that comes to it when you when a, a tin of paint has has outlived its usefulness and all that's left in the bottom is a drop and you have nowhere to put that drop how do you get rid yep. of it yeah well basically all of the um the local authority uh, recycling centers will take paint back they'll they'll take all types of paint back including the old solvent based ones they they will be running fairly strict um, guidelines for people returning paints, uh, and they will absolutely want to know which which they are getting back. Uh, so the the solvent based ones they will actually store in steel containers. The water based ones would be less hazardous, even though still hazardous. So they will accept them back. Um, I suspect our paints, uh, PJ, because uh, more so of a lack of knowledge than than anything else, is that our, our paints would probably be considered the same. They're, they're obviously water-based, natural. There's nothing hazardous about them. Yeah. But because eco paints are really just kind of growing and, and getting a hold in the marketplace, we'll probably be treated just like the rest of like them. Like a water-based paint. Even though you could literally pour this stuff onto your 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 flower your flower garden. Uh, I'm not encouraging people to do that, <laughs> but that's how eco-friendly it is. Very good. All right, Pat. Thanks very much. It's the new era in paint. Look at the brand and have a product and they're advertising it called Graffin Stone Paint, but it is the new way forward. No no smells, no solvents, no petroleum, no plastics, no nothing in it. Purely natural product. The future of paint, so they say. Actually, yeah, Pat made that point about the council uh, paint shed, which is down at the dump um, on the Tremor Road there. Tremor Valley Park. You know, the, the, old, the dump, lads. The dump, you know what I'm getting at. Um, I remember someone saying to me last couple of months, they don't take the paint down there anymore. They do. They do take it. 
but they'd like you to go and talk to them first and they have a max of 10 tins per person and they want you to separate it out nice, nice and carefully um, because uh, a little birdie told me that people were coming down with truckloads of the stuff hadn't cleaned out their garden shed in a generation that's not what it's for 0818 96 96 96 the teddy bears by the way look brilliant at the, at the, the dump these days They've, they're really coming into their, their own in spring uh, the teddy bear walk Stuff to clear, stuff to... Yes, the dog, the dog, uh, Fergus's dog, um, uh, attacked by two big dogs over the weekend while out with his wife. And unfortunately, the poor old dog died. Uh, And Fergus was wondering, what is his recourse in law? Does he have any recourse? Another heartbroken family with the savaging of a small animal, especially if there are children. I recently had to put down a cat... And I was heartbroken. But that wasn't because of the savagery. But that was because of the savagery of another animal. Why aren't these killers just put down themselves compulsorily? I think that should be the law. What do you think? So in other words, if your dog attacks and kills another dog, that your dog should be put to sleep. Uh, I like that idea. I don't think it's possible to do it, but I like it. What if the woman had fallen on the ground and been injured? It could have been a very different story. There could have been really serious consequences. Indeed. Really sad listening, says D. Uh, it's so unfair. I loved your quote about the dog. This is the one I have when I miss my dog. It says one dog mightn't change the world, but for that one dog, the world will be forever changed. Yeah, it was an old, old, kind old vet in Carrigaline years ago um, I think his name was Barrett uh, but he's, he's long he's long gone now but but he had cause to put a, an old beast of mine to sleep one time and I was heartbroken as you would be and uh, he said to me you know that little pain you feel I said yeah he said that is that is the little piece of your heart that, that he took so he'll remember your smell and I thought Jesus you give me this I'm watching me <laughs> but it's beautiful so I often, when people have lost a, a pet, I often quote it back. 0818 96 96 96. Come here to me. Do you want to be part of the music we play? Do you want to help us to choose the music we play? And in the process of which, maybe win yourself a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. Then you can vote for the fresh new music we play and grab your food for free. It's a 10 minute online survey makes you a music influencer here at Corks 96 FM. Once again, the Corks 96 FM music panel is open. Choose the tunes and win 100 euro from Just Eat. Now, before I go to that one, Fiona, I just want to read. Yesterday we had uh, Councillor Liam Quaid on the show with the latest chapter, if you want, of the Onakura story. And we asked the HSE uh, for a statement based on what Councillor Quaid told us, that residents from Owenacurra were being moved to Carrigaline and that the Carrigaline facility was being purchased out of the same budget as might be used for Owenacurra. In other words, money that might be used to refurbish and renew Owenacurra was actually being spent to buy a place in Carrigaline to move people into. 
and we put that question to the HSE and Cork Kerry Community Healthcare came back and said at the start of COVID-19 pandemic, Milford House, this was Milford House in Blackpool, was identified as being a COVID risk to residents in relation to infection prevention and control. Garnish House was then secured at short notice to provide single room accommodation with en-suites for a vulnerable cohort of service users. Glenwood House, this is Carrigaline, has been purchased by HSE to provide a high-quality service in a community residential setting. Planning permission has been applied for in relation to this premises and a decision is expected shortly. The HSE can't comment on the relocation of any patients when to do so might reveal information breaching the ethical requirement on us to observe our duty of confidentiality, which is the response we got from HSE. 0818 96 96 96. Now, sometimes people can't keep a pet or they get a pet and the pet becomes too much for the house. Or we say it every year, please don't give a puppy for Christmas and people give puppies for Christmas. And by the time it gets to the end of March, puppy is unfortunately not fitting in with the house. And decent people will try to find a new home for puppy or indeed any other pet that just can't live where they're living right now. And Helena, you and your group helped to rehome them. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. This would be a busy time, wouldn't it? People who got puppies at Christmas time and now the puppy is a bit of a nuisance and they don't want to be cruel to it, but they do want to move it on somewhere. Yes, definitely. And we can help with that, you know. I suppose, look, we prefer people would come to us and we try and find a new home uh, for the cat or the dog and, um, you know, rather than they just selling them on. Like, we would make sure that they were fully vaccinated, microchipped. The microchip was registered to the new owner Mm. and we would get them spayed or neutered as well because, look, I suppose dogs started costing a lot during the pandemic and we'd hate to see a dog that was purchased end up being used for breathing then you know yeah yeah. and dogs did the cost of the cost of dogs went ridiculous and of course we we always tell people try to adopt try not to buy but people people will buy and as well as that during the pandemic people were working from home and spending a lot of time at home which made it a little bit easier to rear a puppy but now they're gone back to work, back to the office. Puppy, on, puppy is on their own, and they're not used to it. They're wrecking the place, and they're yeah. becoming a nuisance. So I suppose the one good thing that came out of that as well is that there are a few more doggy daycare. So look, if you have gone back to work and that is the only reason you need to rehome, we would suggest that you would try doggy daycare or employ a dog walker that can come in during the day and take your dog out, you know, and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. It that shouldn't be a sole reason really to rehome. Look, if it is, we'll help still, but there are options in that area as yeah, well. Yeah. What are more popular, dogs or cats? Because cats are mm. territorial. I mean, it's very hard to move a cat. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can move a cat seventy miles away and the damn thing will find its way home if it wants to. 
if it wants to. Well, most do settle, though, in fairness, but I suppose it's harder to add a cat into a house that already has a cat because, as you say, oh, they're territorial. Skin and yeah. fur flying to the <laughs> <laughs> you know so look with that then we would always suggest you know if it's not working come back to us because look it has to be you have to wait and see you know how it's going to go some settling for a few months and then it's not working yeah. where it was at the start you know it's hard to say with them really yeah and cats you know? cats if they don't like what they'll just, they'll just bugger off and then move in with Mrs. Yeah. Murphy down the road, whether she wants to or not. You know, that's the thing about cats. Small dogs, though, they're much easier to rehome, aren't they? Small dogs, yeah. I mean, everybody wants. Look, it's it's understandable. You know, it's the way our life is shaped as well. And um, but we have two dogs at the moment. They're large dogs, Milo and Molly. They're two beagles. We are looking to try and get them a home together, which is a tall ask then. Not just one large dog, but two. Oh, yeah, well, and we're struggling. So where's your group? Yeah. Where can we find your group, Helena? We're based mostly on Facebook, I suppose, is where we do a lot of our rehoming from. Um, you know, so it's rehoming Cork Pets. Rehoming Cork Pets. Um, so there's you and there's Barbara and Susie and Susan and Fanula and Carl and Nikki and Cloda and you're all volunteers. Yes, all volunteers. We all have our own jobs besides this, so we do as much as we can every week on this and yeah. Straight away, you a message know. is, I adopted my dog Ruby five years ago from Helena. What a fantastic service and a fantastic person. So the oh, endorsements are flying in. I, I was going to ask you about your, your, your trip to the States for St. Patrick's Day, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm out of time, but you had a ball, I think. Oh, fantastic. Badly needed break. Know, isn't, it? <laughs> isn't it always? Listen, thanks a million, uh, Helena, and good luck with that. Rehoming Cork Pets is where you will find them on Facebook, 0818969696. Before I go, remember, you're waiting for another tune today at quarter past two, another knockout hit to put on the list. And when you have three song titles for today, you're texting a WhatsApp, Lorraine, on the big drive home. It's all as part of sending you to see Katie Taylor to take on Amanda Serrano for the lightweight world title at Madison Square Garden on April 30th. You're listening to win with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Put your trust in their award-winning after-sales team with a Skoda service at noeldc.com. And it's only on Cork's 96FM. Home dinger of a prize. And this is the last week to... Uh, qualify. Right, what do I mean with this? You know what it is, don't you? Of course you do. Please forgive me. Yeah, Damien Gallagher. That's right. Thanks, David. Pete, Damien Gallagher from Commons Road in Blarney is our winner today with uh, our David Gray competition, MCD. Off to see David Gray at Muscove Park in June. And that's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and research by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.